when I was getting a lot of no's, it wasn't just a blanket no. It was no because here's my reasoning. And so I took all those reasonings and would try and turn them into actionable steps I could take in my business to make it stronger. For those looking to raise capital, you do not want to miss today's episode. We sit down with Madison Rifkin, who at the age of 12 started her company and has successfully raised $3.9 million at a young age. We cover so much on this episode. She shares a lot about how she turned 400 rejections into investors seeking her out. We cover specific strategies, including how to best optimize LinkedIn and also how to put together a powerful five-minute investor pitch. You can't miss this episode. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome back, everyone. This is Liz. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show. Our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. So excited to have Maddie Rifkin on our show today. Welcome, Maddie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to jump into your story. So you started your company when you were 12 years old. You started actually funding for the company and and really, really getting moving on the company at 18. And you got a patent around the same time at a very young age. Everyone thought you were too young. What quality would you say was the single reason you persevered despite the naysayers? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say the quality was just not taking no for an answer. I used no to fuel me. I don't know what the word for that quality is, but uh, I guess I, I liked the nose. <laughs> you liked the nose. When, 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 what point did you start 
getting all of these no's. So, so walk us through the process because here, here's the connection. So many women investors, so many investors out there, real estate, they're growing their portfolios. They're, they're, but they're tapped out financially. So they learn the strategy, right? Of raising private money. They're partnering with people. Uh, they're going to institutional banks and, and, and looking for funding. Funding is the name of the game when it comes to real estate, but yet not everyone knows how to do it successfully. And not everyone knows how to do it in a way that they're actually going to get the yes instead of the no. So let's, let's go back to your story. Um, I, you know, so, so inspiring. So walk us through this a little bit. When did you start your company? Why did you start it? What is it? And then we're going to walk through all the n- investors that you went to that you got the, you got a lot of no's. And then how did you move through that in a powerful way? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my company, which is called Mount, uh, when I was 12 years old. And it was a bike lock company back then. So I was a 12-year-old riding to school on a bike and forgetting my bike lock and drove my mother crazy. So I was like, hmm, I can solve this problem. (laughs) So my school, I was lucky enough, had an invention program that you did after school, basically. So I didn't use power tools on my own. The teachers helped. (laughs) And I put together a bike lock that was built into the bike. At the end of the program, you got to pitch it to a group of... um, not investors, but just like business people of Colorado is where I grew up. And they told me that I won. And with that, I won a fully funded patent because they thought what I had invented was pretty unique. Um, and so as a 12-year-old, got to go through that process of working with a lawyer, going through the whole patent process, um, and just getting to kind of get that first taste of entrepreneurship. And from there, I knew it was something that I just had to continue on because it was my favorite thing ever. So that's very interesting. So you were able to have the confidence to go after and get a patent. Did you have any sort of like proof of concept? We talk so much about that, right? Proof of concept with a business, proof of concept with, with anything for that matter to, to, to really be able to say, okay, is this something that has stickability? Is there a market for it? Is it X, Y, and Z? So what, as a, at such a young age, how did you have that level of confidence to go after a, a, a patent at such an early age? I'm curious. You know, it's uh, something I think my parents and sisters are still wondering as to like where my confidence came from. <laughs> uh, I think honestly, I was just born with it. Um, and I just didn't really have any fear of people telling me it was wrong or weird. And I was just like, you know, let's go for it. I have these resources and let's take some risks. Um, but from the bike lock perspective, it was more just I needed it out of necessity. And I was like, well, if I need it, others probably need it as well. Um And then I just got to prototyping, creating, getting it in people's hands, showing it off, and was hearing pretty positive feedback. Um, So I rode with that. But I mean, it wasn't really until I got to college where I went. I was at Northeastern University in Boston for entrepreneurship. Uh, And it wasn't really until I got there that I started to understand the questions you're supposed to be asking when you're starting a company and really how you find that product market fit and how you make sure you're not creating something that's just cool but then it turns out no one needs it. Um, and so that's kind of the further journey I went on was, I, you know, I got the patent, I, I did all these things, but then I was also a 12-year-old, so had to go finish middle school and high school, <laughs> become a kid for a little. Then I went to college to really start the business. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right, so now you're in college. You're 18 years old, right? Yep. Where were you in the tenure of your company? Where was the company in, term of, in terms of its growth? And then at what point did you say, I need to raise you know, and you've been able to raise 3.9 million since then. At uh, wh- what point, though, did you start to say, I got to start going to raise raise money? Um, tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I mean, in college, I was doing or studying entrepreneurship, taking the entrepreneurship courses. They had to write business models, business plans, like the full works. And I think I just got tired of having that be theoretical work where I was wasting my time. And I'm like, let's just make this real. So that's when I started turning all my coursework into work for Mount and this bike lock idea I had. Um, and then, you know, as you get into it, I don't know if viewers can relate to this on on the podcast, but you get to a point where you need to start putting money down to actually see results. Like it can't just all be talking to people. And I got to that point and I was a broke college student. So in my mind, the only option was going to get money from other people because my bank account was at zero. Like I couldn't put in the money. Um, and so that was kind of my mindset. And I think I was in a unique position because when you're in university and college and studying about entrepreneurship, they don't tell you about all the different funding options. They just tell you about venture capital and maybe angel investors. And that's it. So I was like, that must be my only path to get funding. And so kind of right in that moment, my freshman, sophomore year, I started getting on LinkedIn, reading articles, following other founders. And I was just like, how does one go about getting money? <laughs> so that was like opening your eyes to how to do it. And then, so you you said somewhere in the... um and, you know, getting ready for this, you were saying you pitched over 100 investors over four different time periods, all of which said no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so and then the fifth time you said, when I came back the fifth time, investors were knocking down my door to invest. So I really want to break that down because, you know, everyone, the folks listening, Again, they may not be going to venture capitalists. They may be going to a partner to do an equity deal, or they're raising money for a, a small syndication, um, you know, multifamily or or self storage, or they're looking to partner up with a private lender, right? And, and they're like, okay, I can use other people's money to grow my business. My husband and I have successfully over the over the course of seventeen years investing, have literally built and have over two thousand units. And, and the majority, right, have been with other people's money through private equity and, and private lending. So it's not unheard of in our business, but it's not the easiest kind of linear way to do it. So I really want to dive into you pitching a hundred investors. Talk about where, where you were at that point. Were you eight? Were you kind of like just started college? Was a little bit in? Did you have some momentum with the company? And then talk to me about. Talk to me about how you persevere through pitching a hundred investors. Like, like a hundred seems like, oh, a hundred. But like, if I, if I really think about it, a hundred's a lot of people have here. No, no, no. So walk me through a little bit about when you began pitching and then we'll come back to when they started, you know, knocking your door down. Yeah. And, and actually, I just went back and looked at the numbers. It was closer to 400, actually, over the course of, of four years, which was my time okay. in college. Uh, okay. So a lot of no's and not just no's. It was like, you're too young. This is a terrible idea. Like they really like to tear you down. <laughs> yeah. And I think what I didn't know at the beginning was if you go on LinkedIn and you just look at founders, like they post and they're like, oh my God, I just raised $4 million. Took me a week to do. Jeff Bezos was one of my investors. Uh, and now I can go build this amazing company. And I was left there thinking like, wow, it must be really easy. Like you could ask five people for a million dollars and they're all going to say yes. And all you need is an idea. Um, and so I went into the fundraising process really naive. And I thought that was it. Um, but when I first started the fundraising process, I was a college student. Like I didn't have a network. I didn't know who these VCs were let alone how to get in contact with them. Like, I just didn't know anything. Um, and so that was kind of my first 
I guess, learning was like, how do you build a network? How do you get in contact with these people? And so where I started was I reached out to founders and other industry people on LinkedIn. I am probably known as a great LinkedIn stalker these days uh, because I would just reach out and leverage the fact that I was young and a college student. I was like, hey, would love to chat. Just I want to hear about your journey, your story. I'm trying to learn as much as possible. And so I think for the first six months, I just took the learn approach and was like, I really need to understand what it is like to go ask for money. Um, And so a lot of amazing founders out there really helped. Uh, And I learned that, one, it doesn't take a week. You know, it takes probably a good year and a half to build your network. Then you can start going out and fundraising. It's not, you know, let's just go ask for money. Um, And then two, you know, you have to have the confidence to actually ask because you can go into the meetings with investors um, and have a good conversation and have a networking conversation. But if you don't have the guts to actually be like, all right, actually, I need money. I need two million. Here's why. And here's what I'm going to use it for. You know, that conversation was good, but they're not going to take it any further because they just simply don't know. And I think from a lot of these conversations with founders, they were a lot male founders because there are just not a lot of female founders out there. Yeah. Uh, yet. 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 We are changing that. <laughs> we're um, changing that, Maddie. We're changing yeah. it. Uh, but I did, you know, learn that as a, a woman in business, as a female founder, like it's harder for us to get money because we might not have as much confidence or like, you know, the big pants to go ask for it. We might feel like we deserve less. Like there's just all this guilt and everything stacked against us that was just there for the last 100 years. Like it's not our fault. You know, we just have to get over it. But, uh, you know, recognizing that and just realizing like I do deserve this. I should be asking for it. Everyone else is asking for it and getting more, you know, put yourself in the game a little and start asking. I love that. So so let's walk, I, I love that process. So you realize you didn't have a network. I mean, here you are in college. What college, which college students have networks, right? But you're absolutely right. In order to raise money, you know, the network is important. And I think so many real estate investors think they don't know anyone with money. Like I'll talk to people all the time and say, okay, you know, here you have a proof of concept. You've done some deals. You have some rental properties. Oh, I don't know anybody who has money. We're not talking um, billionaires, right? That's not who we're looking after. And I think that's a, I don't know if you found that, Maddie, but it's not, that's not who you're looking for. Now, venture capitalists, I, you know that profile much more than I do. But for 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 connecting this to to real estate investors, these are everyday people who do have the wherewithal. They could be accredited uh, or, or not accredited, depending on how you structure your deals. And they do have the wherewithal and the finances to invest with other people. They just don't know all the time how to exactly do it, right? So they have that, they're more passive. But the point is that they're in your network already. I always like to say to people, if you're, if you're listening to this and you know you need to, you know, find private money lenders and find, um, you know, people to partner with, I want you to write a, create a big circle, draw a big circle. And in the middle of that circle, you write yourself you. You just put Y O U. And then you're going to put spokes out of you, your community, uh, the, um, the church that you go to possibly, the, um, association, your college association or your grad school association, um, your, your network, uh, when it comes to your kids. Like, so we know so many people, but we don't often think we do. And that is the quickest way to start to, to, to start to think about who's already in my network. And then you go to LinkedIn and then you go to Facebook and go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that person. I forgot about that person. Then you, then you have this list of people that could be potential money partners. So I just like to share that tip. What I would do with that tip too, because I, I would agree that's a great place to start. The place I took that 
was once I had a list of people I knew, one, start having those conversations because if they're not going to give you money, they might know someone else who they can introduce you to. And I would always at the end of a meeting be like, are there two or three other people that you think I should be talking to? Phenomenal way to grow your network because they're going to say yes. Absolutely. I love that. But then the second actionable step that I did was I basically started to put together my dream list of who I wanted to talk to that maybe I thought had money, maybe I could make uh, introductions to. And then you start pairing both lists together and use LinkedIn because you can basically put in the search of who you want to meet, see if they have any mutuals that you might know, and then go ask that mutual for the introduction to the person you want to meet. Um, and that's kind of how you work both lists together and get that going. I love what you're saying because here, here's what I want everyone to listen to as well, is that there in our world of investing, in, at least in the real estate side, there's an active side and then there's a passive side. And in so many times when you're raising money, whether it's on equity, whether it's private lenders, you're looking for people that want to be more passive, right? You're not looking for the people who want to like build this conglomerate investment portfolio just by themselves. They're looking to passively invest. So why would they be passively investing? Because they already have a full-time job and they're on LinkedIn. So I think what you're saying makes so much sense around like where, who are you looking for and where are they hanging out are two really important questions I would imagine raising any type of money, especially in our two worlds. Um, they may not, they may be on Instagram. They may not be. They may, maybe on TikTok, may they may, may not be. But what I can tell you is they're definitely on LinkedIn because they're full time folks, they're professionals, and they just don't want to actively invest in real estate, but they want to find people who they can partner with. So I don't know if you found the same thing. And I, you know, in terms of, I don't know the venture capital world like you do, but is that a similar type of, profile or thinking as well in terms of like, where are these types of, who who do I want to attract? Like you said, my dream list. How granular did you get, by the way, with your dream list? Did you say who, um, what kind of income do they make? Where do they hang out? What do they do? Like where, how, how specific did you get? No, I didn't go that deep. Um, I basically got the the name of who they are, where they're working, which was more important to me because I needed to know what venture capital fund, but also for you to know what type of job they have. I don't, that would be helpful. Um, and then I was able to track down to see if they had any prior investments. It's a bit more public in the VC space. I would imagine. Yeah. But typically people like to tote the fact that they're an investor. So they will put it on their LinkedIn page. So you might have to do some like digging into their past experience. Maybe it's right in the title, but they might be able to call out if they're invest in an investor and that's helpful. And then other than that, I had two columns and it, one was called introduction pathway one and introduction pathway two. And that's where I use LinkedIn to figure out who could get me that intro to that dream person based on my mutuals, who I knew uh, and track it kind of backwards to that person I wanted to meet. I love that. And it's a very inspirational way to think of it and a very tactical way to actually think of it because we're not always connected to the person we want to. I mean, I want to have Mel Robbins on this show, right? I love Mel Robbins. She's one of my favorite people. I listen to her podcast all the time. I will have her on our show and I will be on her show. There's no question. So if you're listening, Mel, I'm coming after you. You know, you're going to be on our show. But, um, but I, I'm sure if I looked at my network and said, okay, that's a, a dream person I want to have on this podcast, right? I want to connect with. What's in between that? We always think of the end versus the, the means to connecting. And I love what you just said because we're missing, we're missing the strategy with, with that dream list with, you know, most of the time, unless we do what you said. I want to come back to when you were getting no's, a lot of no's. And then the fifth time investors started actually 
knocking your door down, which is what we all want to get to in raising money. We want to be, we want the door to be knocked, you know, the phone calls or the reach outs versus us having to go go do it. But before we get that, Maddie, um, we're going to take a break and hear a word from our sponsors. All right, Maddie. So tell us the secret. So, you know, you got all these no's, no, 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 multiple, multiple, multiple times. But then you start to have these folks come back to you and want to work with you. So what was the shift and how did that happen? Walk us through that process. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was getting a lot of no's, it was pretty disheartening. I will be honest about that one. Um, but with each no, I kind of found you know, it wasn't just a blanket no. It was no because no, you know, here's my reasoning. And so I took all those reasonings and would try and turn them into actionable steps I could take in my business to make it stronger. So if, if someone said, no, you don't have enough customers, I'm like, all right, I could fix that. Let's go get some customers. Um, no, there's not enough validation here. I'm like, all right, let me go get some testimonials, like give me more time to test this out. So that was one thing that was really helpful. And then after, you know, the fourth round of no's, I was like, all right, clearly I'm doing something wrong. Like <laughs> there is something I am missing when it comes to fundraising. And so instead of, you know, taking it upon myself to learn more, I was like, I'm going to take this really seriously. And I entered into a startup accelerator so I could get some one-on-one -on -one mentorship from some experts that have done this before. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted. And so I was in a startup accelerator for about three months, uh, very intensive where you are basically working with other people that are have fundraised before, they're angels, they know what they're doing. And for Mount, what I did was I worked solely on the pitch and the story and how can I convey that better? And that's what I learned is like, that's why the four other attempts failed. One of the reasons, there were other reasons as well, but the other attempts failed because I couldn't convey my story in probably a good five minutes. Like, that's all you need to be able to convey what you do and how you're going to make money. Uh, and my story was just not compelling. Like, I didn't know the art of storytelling. Also didn't realize that that's how you raise funding is through your story. It's not just let's dive into the numbers. Um, because at the end of the day, these investors are investing in you and their belief that you will execute on this business. Um, not that the business is going to, like, execute on you, essentially, like the, the reverse. So... That was incredibly helpful. And that's kind of how I've gone into fundraising now. Every moment past is what's my five minute pitch? Get it down to a place where I can see the slides virtually in my head and I go through it. Um, and I can control the investors' conversations because I know what I want the story to be, where I want to go, what questions I want them to ask me. Um, and yeah, can get to that solid point. I want to make it, I want to circle back because if you didn't hear what Maddie just said, uh, I think it's incredibly, incredibly important that anytime you get a no, use it as an actionable step that you can fix in your business or in your, in your current portfolio. I love that. I think that's a really powerful strategy in the sense of, especially when you, especially when it's like verified people that you would want to have work with you, right? Because you, you know, if, if it's somebody who gives you a no and you're like, yeah, they're useless, well then don't listen to them. But if it's, you know, if it's those people, you're like, I want more of those types of people investing in my my deals or my my company. Why are they saying no? And how do you fix that? Especially right now in our real estate world, right? In, in terms of people are a little nervous, right? They're, you know, in terms of interest rates or inflation or, 
you know, property still overpriced. People having to give the keys back to the bank, Lar- like large multifamily, right? That is happening in our world right now. We're literally owners and operators are literally just giving keys back to the bank. Investors are like, I don't want to be part of that project. I want to, I want a conservative, you know, deal that I know I'm going to get my return from passively. So I love what you're saying. I think that's so, so important. And I think the nose can change depending on, on where you are in, in the, in the trajectory of the economy. So I love that. The second thing I want to dive into, I think as women, we undersell ourselves and we don't have our story down in a five minute, concise, powerful, um, you know, bang. So if we, if you had to dissect, let's dissect your five minute. I mean, if you, you know, uh, I'd love to understand from you what is the criteria? What is the way that you put together your five minutes? So the women listening to this podcast can say, I need to put my five minute together. I need to be able to convey what I do and the value that I add to this world in five minutes. So how, how, if we broke, break it down, I'm sure there's like a, there's a, you know, there's almost like a, a way that you break it down now, especially if you see slides in your, in your mind. So how do you break it down? What can we give the women listening so they can create theirs? Yeah. So basically it starts with, uh, an introduction, which is really short, basically just setting the stage. And this is also actually a piece of feedback I got from another female founder, but we have a tendency to only call ourselves by our first name. Men call themselves by their first and last name and they do it every time they say their name. So. Make a point when you introduce yourself to be like, hi, I'm Madison Rifkin, not Maddie, not Mad- Madison, like Madison Rifkin. And it, I don't know, brings a lot more power to the table. <laughs> wow. I, not my right, fact, but it is someone else that told me that. And I was like, that's a good point. You're right. Huh. All right, cool. So make sure you introduce yourself first and last name. Yeah. So really strong out of the gate. Hi, yep. I'm Madison Rifkin. And then you give your title because that also brings a lot of credibility. So hi, I'm Madison Rifkin. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Mount. Then I always hit them with a a one-liner of like, what is the mission or vision of your company to kind of set the stage? Um, For us, it's like, we're the marketplace for digital nomads, like experience marketplace for digital nomads. Um, And then I always hit them with kind of a witty, like, I know that's a really broad statement because it is, you know, where we're actually started uh, is in, for us, it's the short-term rental space. Um, But, you know, contextualize where you're actually building your business for the investor so that they know. And then from there, I framed the problem in a really easy way that they can understand. I think sometimes we get in the weeds when we're talking about the problem because to us, it's really digestible. But then when you say it to a person that has no idea what you're doing, does it actually make sense? So we got our problem down to a a simple fact, actually, where it's 99% of Airbnb hosts are not offering upsells right now. So they're not even able to offer extra money and make extra money from it. So have a simple fact. Then for us, we had a flip side that proved that fact, um, which was that 83% of their guests are actively seeking out and paying for upsells. It's just not with the host. Um, And then I contextualize it in terms of money because that's what investors love to hear. So I told them, I'm like, that's $9.2 billion being left on this table, being spent that this host really just can't access. Um, And to them, they're like, holy shit, problem, money, there should be a solution here to fix it. And then I told them exactly what we did was the solution to give that host uh, access to that money. So, and I did that all in like 30 seconds uh, in the pitch. So right off the bat, they're kind of on the edge of their seat because they're like, okay, this has a clearly defined problem, clearly defined solution. And there's a lot of money at stake that could this company could attack. Um, after that, 
um, I had a value slide, which is actually really important. And I contextualized it in a way where I stated the three value adds of Mount on the slide. But when I spoke over it, I actually did it in the reverse. So I had like, this was back in the day, this doesn't exist anymore. But one of our value adds was an insurance policy that our company used to own so that if you wanted to rent assets from your property, you you would be covered if you did it under Mount. The way I framed that, though, was actually how the pain point is happening right now without Mount. So I was like, if you're an Airbnb host and you want to offer bikes at your property, you're going to go have to find insurance, figure out how your guests sign a damage waiver, and then somehow put that all together so you understand if your guest is renting it or not. And then I was like, actually, with Mount, we solve all of that and we just offer one blanket insurance policy. So you're contextualizing the value of your company right there for them, uh, but making them feel the pain point of how it works right now. Because like, oh, that's so awful. Why is no one fixing that? And you're like, well, actually, that's what we do. We fix it. I love that. That that's really that's gold, you know, to really so 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 the 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 summary would be intro, strong intro, title, first and last name, you know, stating stating the problem, stating the solution, and then really the 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 money piece at what's at stake. Uh, you know, and, and I know in our world of investing, you could give a range of returns. But again, to what you're saying, Maddie, it's not just about the you know, 15%, you know, cash on cash return of, of investing with me. There's more reasons that people invest passively in deals than just the returns. We all know that. And, and so really speaking to that, and I love what you're saying about the value of like, what value are you adding? And are you in, you know, are, are, not just to, to, to the economy and real estate, but to the, to the tenants, there's deeper reasons, right? So if you have a strong financial kind of case, and you have a, a good, a really powerful story and philosophical, like how we're solving problems today um, is huge. It's huge because um, not only are you solving a housing issue, but you could be solving a investor issue where investors don't get communicated to the f- the folks that they work with. Similar to like you're saying around, you know, they, they're like, oh, there needs to be a solution. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, it really... That type of framing in your pitch tells your in potential investor like why you're different than competitors without having that kind of terrible competitor slide where you're comparing yourself. Because um, I think especially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in the real estate space, you know, apartment buildings specifically are a dime a dozen. You know, what's setting them apart? Nothing. They're also oversupplied at the moment. There's too many of them, depending on where you are. Um, and so if that's what you're pitching to an investor, like you need to clearly state why yours is going to be successful when other people's are not in this current market um, and why you're different and why your approach is different and why you yourself are different as well to really get that investor to understand like you're investing with me because of all these reasons. This is not just another been there, done that, you know, going to do this because everyone is doing it. And I would think too, and I love what you're saying, Maddie, I think it's also why now? Why you and why now? Because there's so many places to invest money, right? And 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 it's like, why this asset class? Why, what about you and your approach is going to um, mitigate risk? You know, and that's the thing that savvy investors are always say, how do I mitigate my risk? How do you not only protect the money that I'm investing with you, but actually create the returns because, you know, this money is going to my family, right? This is the number one reason women invest in real estate is for generational wealth, is to pass along the wealth that they're building to the next generation, so there's a lot at stake, right? Especially if you're looking for passive investors and how to protect the money, uh, not just make the returns. Um, 
I love this, Maddie. I think the, I, I you know, in terms of storytelling, what do you do to practice? I'm curious as we as we get to the next piece here, and I want you to share where where ladies can connect with you further, or the folks listening can connect with you further. But how did you practice? Because I think that's also key. We can theoretical theoretically put this pitch down as we're connecting with potential investors, but if we don't practice and practice repetitively, it's just going to become this 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 random thing that we say. So, what did you do to practice? Um, and really to build up your confidence so that you started shifting uh, more no, uh, more more no's to yeses. Yeah, absolutely. So I did two things. Uh, the first was because of the startup accelerator, it gave me a good group of founders. For me, they were in the tech space, so relevant industry. And we got together, I want to say two or three times a week, and we each ran through our five-minute pitch and we each gave feedback. That way it could get better. And we did that over a three-month period. So that's kind of how it really got ingrained in my brain. Uh, and I would say, you know, there's really great communities out there. Um, there's actually a community for women. Well, you guys have an amazing community. There's a specific community, though, for women in real estate trying to raise money. I'm in that one. That's the one. I know I can't think of the name right now. But, uh, you know, get a community like that. Get a group of people together where you can all keep each other accountable. And you can give each other the pitch uh, and you can give each other feedback and just get to a place where you're really comfortable. When you've done that, the second phase is starting to have these investor meetings. And the way I lined them up is I had the ones that were going to be really big reaches. I really didn't think were going to invest in me that were maybe just like practice investor pitches, if you will. I put those first because I could mess up in those. It was fine. They weren't going to invest anyways. I got better. And so if I did 50 of those and then got to the ones I actually cared about and I was good, like that was the place to be because uh, then I had hours and hours and hours of practice under my belt and it was just the same pitch over and over again. I, I literally got to a point where it's pretty memorized uh, just because I had done it so much. I love that. I love that. I want to mention something quickly before we, we transition is having a safe space to practice, practice analyzing deals, practicing pitching your deal to a potential investor is the name of the game. And I love that you said that you did that, Maddie, because I think that's, we we got to stop, especially women, doing things ourselves. That's why we created the real estate investor community. That's why we have InvestorCon coming up in Austin, June 2nd to 4th, uh, 500 women coming together. This is meant to be that space that women have that safe space that they can, A, deepen relationships, connect with women, learn fantastic information from all types of experts. More importantly, though, Find women to hold you and hold each other accountable and to be able to have these kind of conversations ongoingly. Um, I love that you did that and you, you're, you speak to it as a key piece to your development. And like you said, how you're able to get your pitch so down that you were like literally able to, um, increase your confidence, which then increased your results. So I love that. And I just encourage women. And everyone out there to find your, find that community. Cause it's not just about knowing how to put a pitch, pitch together or, or knowing how to analyze a deal. The confidence increases when you practice. It's just the way it is. I know when I was pitching deals to people, uh, to raise money for our deals, I would bring like sample properties to them. Say, listen, I'm not, we're not raising for this. This is a project we have done, but this is the type of property that I, you know, we raise money for. You know, and then that would be part of like, do you have an appetite for this type of like, you know, uh, project where we go in, we renovate and then we re re refinance? 
Uh, it's like that classic Burr strategy. They're like, yeah, I love those kinds of projects. Or no, I hate those kinds of projects. And then I'm not going to them to talk to them, like you're saying, Maddie, to just pitch them, but they be, they could become investors. So get your pitch down in, in summary and find that community, safe space that you can really bounce and really get that support. So I love that. Um, I love that so much that you mentioned that. So um, Maddie, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and learn all about all the great things you have have done here? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say LinkedIn is the best place to get in touch with me. If you want to actually see the five-minute pitch I was talking about on this podcast, I have a YouTube link for it. Just message me and I will send it your way. If you end up wanting to chat more about your own five-minute pitch, like I love giving feedback to other female founders out there because I'm a big supporter of, you know, let's lift each other up and take over the world uh, and give our help to, to the art community. So whatever you guys need, reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's where you can find me uh, and I'm here to help. Awesome. We'll put that all in the show notes. Uh, so now we're ready for transitioning to our fabulous three questions. And uh, our last three questions we ask every uh, guest that we have on our show. So what is the most transformational book you have ever read? Ooh, good question. I'd say Shoe Dog, which is the uh, founding story of Nike. I read that probably at least once a year now, just because every time I read it, it gives me more and more ideas of how I can take my company to the next level. And reminds me, like, Nike was on, on, on the float for years, meaning they were about to go bankrupt or they were going to do really well, basically until they went public. So the founder journey is one of not not ease. It's not going to be easy. Even if you take your company public, it's still probably not going to be easy. And that book is a very great reminder. <laughs> yeah. And the and the movie that came out, Air, uh, so was good. phenomenal, phenomenal story. So yeah, highly, highly recommend. Um, so what's the most powerful routine you do to live a financially free and balanced life? Whatever balance means to you. I'd say I really am not a, a routine person, actually. So I, I like to go the opposite way and we'll just throw a lot of random travel in my schedule. Uh, but I love going to conferences. So You'll see me at a lot of those. Probably I love to speak at them and booth and just meet the community and just grow my network that way. So uh, I do a lot of that. That keeps me grounded. And then um, I am also a drummer in a band. So, a drummer? Oh, that's cool. Yes, uh, in a like R&B style band. So that keeps me uh, fun and, and not thinking about work a lot, which is good. <laughs> I love that. And it's just like you get your aggressions out. It's going to bang you totally this do. drum. Yeah, <laughs> for like a good right? solid two hours, you know? <laughs> I'm going to try that, Maddie. You're giving me a great idea for our goal for this year. Um, so last question, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? I'd say two. One not famous is absolutely uh, absolutely my grandmother, Rella Rifkin. She was an entrepreneur in her own right, uh, started a cooking school back in the 1950s um, and just has just really taken life, you know, by the horns, whatever the right saying is, and and done it all. Um Famous one who I'm still trying to meet in person is Sarah Blakely. I love what she's built and what she stands for. Uh, and that community of women they have of powerhouses, uh, you know, Hello Sunshine, the founder, um, Reese Witherspoon, the Bumble founder, also phenomenal. So cool. So I want to get on that inner circle. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I see that happening, Maddie, for you. Uh, thank you so much for being on our show today. Uh, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and we appreciate it so much. Absolutely. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show 
become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao. 